between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this mass movement, destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow, it is we, mass movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Hello boys and girls and welcome to another edition of Geekorama. This time we're talking to V Castro about her new novel The Haunting of Alejandro and Sam Revelin about his new novel Edenville, both published by Titan Books. So, without further ado, here's V Castro. Hi, how are you? Good, hi. Oh. Hi. <laughs> so, you have a new book on the on its way out. The Haunting of Alejandra. Yes, I do. <laughs> so you have to forgive me. I haven't had the chance to read it. My copy literally arrived 10 minutes ago. So uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about it? Oh, that's okay. Would you- yeah. So, um, well, one, it's perfect for spooky season. Um, <laughs> you know, Alejandra is, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's uh, ghosts demons, uh, lots of stuff you won't expect. But, uh, you know, I go from uh, the conquest of Mexico uh, by the Spanish all the way to modern times where we meet Alejandra. Right. And she's had her third child and she's just having a breakdown. She really is having a mental breakdown and she doesn't know how to stop it or why. She's lost all will to live and she starts seeing things and hearing things, thinking and thinking this is a manifestation of what she's feeling. And it is. It really is a manifestation of her mental state. But it goes deeper than that and further back in time. Um, So this thing, La Llorona, at least we think it's La Llorona, is feeding off of her and her bloodline. And you get to see why and how. And what La Llorona really is. <clears throat> so it's like a, a familial haunting that passes down from generation to generation that manifests in times of great sort of tragedy and personal despair. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And that is, um, yeah, and, you know, everyone experiences those things. So this thing, this La Llorona, no one is really safe from it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea because, because a lot of your work is based within sort of Mexican folklore and, and Mexican mythology. And yes. Is that because, you, you know, be, being a native Mexican, you have a deeper connection to that or is it just something you were fascinated by as a child, which is then coming to adulthood? <clears throat> yeah, Um Basically, well, for one, you know, it fascinates me, the history, things I heard growing up. Uh, I love folklore from all over right. the world. I love folk tales. and um, But there hasn't been a lot written about these mythologies and folklore and, and putting it into horror. And it is quite scary. So I was like, well, how can I t- take all of these horror tropes that we love, you know, and and kind of incorporate 
also where I come from. And that's what I've tr- I want to do. And I like to do with all of my stories, you know, God of the filth, the possession, you know, I wanted to approach it differently. You know, I love the exorcist. I love, you know, all of those really, you know, kind of Catholic sanctified, you know, the devils and the little girl in the dirty, you know, <laughs> gown <laughs> tied to the bed stories. But this, I wanted, goddess of filth, I wanted something different. Um, and, you know, the vampire story, Immortal Pleasures, that comes out in April. Again, I, I love, big Anne Rice fan, but I wanted to kind of go in a different direction with the type of vampires that you get to see. And Alejandra, again, okay, let's talk about demons, let's talk about ghosts, let's talk about trauma and how it, shows up to people from different places and from different backgrounds. As it's, it's, the idea is fascinating. It really is because there are few writers who are sort of drawing from the rich tapestry of South American and Mexican culture. You, you, you know, Incas and the Aztecs and blending all that sort of mythology yeah. and all that, all the, the ideas of the gods and how, let's be honest, more advanced technology than we had here at the time. They just sort of, Create a whole rich tapestry and world. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what I kind of wanted to, um, kind of give to the readers is a, right. yeah, just a, a different perspective, something fresh, something different, um, that you can kind of, that will make you think. Right. So do you consider yourself first and foremost a horror writer or just a storyteller? A storyteller. Right. Because I I love romance, I love um, science fiction, like you know horror sci-fi. Um, I, yeah, I like a lot of different genres. Um, I don't. I, I will be honest. If you said, "Oh, come on, Violet, write us a comedy with that isn't dark," right? I mean, I would really struggle to write a light, soft, cozy like you know kittens and sweaters. I just, I'd really struggle. There'd have to be like, you know, like some sort of like killer in the, in the <laughs> or ghost or some sort of dark secret. But, but I mean, traditionally folklore and fairy tales, also, that's never been, they've never been happy stories. They've never been filled with joy. They're always dark because they're always a foreboding and a warning passed from generation yeah, to yeah. generation. So, yeah, it would be, I don't, I, I, can't see anyone as fascinated by folklore as you are ever writing a, a, a light breezy story in which all the, the heroines skip off through the daisies at the end of the story. It's just not that kind of <laughs> genre. So where did the inspiration for this book come from? Uh, quite personal, you know, just having my own um, my own personal struggles and then lockdown hit and you know in the UK we had a very very extensive lockdown and it was quite um you know strict compared to some other places certainly the US and so I had a lot of time and and just to tease tease apart a lot of things and to work on it and so the idea I had before and then lockdown, it just all came together. Everything that happened in my life, how I was feeling, and it all came to a head. And uh, yeah, that's how the the book was written. You know, um, there was nowhere to go, nowhere else to be. 
<laughs> All right, I guess I'll write this novel. <laughs> so, I mean, do you think being a mother and a parent has influenced your writing um, in any way at all? Oh, absolutely. It. Absolutely. Uh, um, as hard as it is, I know that I would I would not emotions and the experience of I've I've had as a parent, as a mother. I know that they've been, you know, a huge inspiration to me and they've made me grow and challenged me and the love I've felt and the frustrations I've felt and what it means to be a parent. Um, yeah, that's all heavily influenced a lot of what I write. I'm going to move into the next room because I think the internet's going to be more stable in there. Because I keep okay. So, no, I mean, uh, from my point of view, being a parent, it, it changed my life completely. Um, oh, it completely as, changes as, your life. You know, as a journalist and a writer, it, it just, everything changed the moment I saw my daughter. You know, and it strikes me that the Horns of Alhambra is a very personal sort of parental story about a life changes in a heartbeat in a moment, in a way you never thought it was going to when you're younger, you know? No, absolutely. And and the way, you know, you don't know the depths of what uh, what you would do if you're if your child is in danger, as right. as afflicted as you may be about being a parent, or as hard as it may be, when you're really tested, what are you willing to give or sacrifice for this being that you created? Right. I mean, it's. I mean, it's, it's always got to be more intense from a female perspective, anyway, because this is a life you've grown inside you. This is essentially part of you. More so than you know, we we can say what we like about father, and we're we're there, but you know, we contribute <laughs> very little in, in sort of <laughs> apart from genetics. So, so just seeing someone write a story like this is helps to bridge a gap for I think the male perspective to see the, into the female psyche to see how parenthood is going to affect you and what it means. I guess. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause you know, nine months is a long time. <laughs> those feelings, those hormones. Right. Don't just stop like the second the baby's out. Yeah. And then you have all of this stuff after, you know, when they're crawling and walking and they want to do everything that will, you know, you know, end in certain death and they want to <laughs> put, you know, garbage in their mouth and explore. <laughs> and then they become teenagers and then they're just the gremlins <laughs> stage. I mean, my, my daughter's way at university now, but it doesn't stop the fact that I've got to speak to her every day. Because, you know, the world is, is a very dangerous place and, I, you know, I have to know how. So if you are on it, with, um, like, The Haunt of Alhambra, how do you feel about the book now that it's finished and it's out there, and you're, it's it's about to be unleashed on the world. Yeah, you know, so it's already been out in the U.S. Uh-huh. And for me, with books, once I write them, they're out, they're going out. That's it. Like it doesn't belong to me anymore. Right. Like it's not mine. It's for the readers. It's 
it's my kind of, here you go. Um, so, you know, I can promote it and, you know, encourage people to buy it and leave reviews. But as far as thinking about it, dwelling on it, doing anything, it's just out of my hands now. And it's kind of like, okay, next chapter, next thing, um, next story. What else do I have to give and to offer? What other perspectives or, you know, are kind of waiting? Um and I just kind of, you have to let the book find the people that it's meant to find. How how have the reviews been so far in the U.S.? Yeah, really, really, really good, actually. I've had a lot of women. And um, I have a, uh, I did an interview with NPR Code Switch. And, you know, I had a woman, you know, who interviewed me. And she's like, you know, it really made me think about my relationship with my mom. Right. And the challenges I had with my mom and understanding her. Um, because, you know, generationally, I think every generation we become more and more open because it's more acceptable, um, to be and acceptable actually for men to talk about their feelings or talk about fatherhood or what it means beyond just being a provider and just kind of being there and being the, um, disciplinarian. And so, I think every generation it, it changes. And I think a lot of people are responding to that and making them think. I've also had a lot of women say, Oh my God, like you're actually saying the things that I have thought, but have never been able to articulate. I don't feel alone. I don't feel so stranded in motherhood or, you know, that difficult period where you're just like overwhelmed because the baby won't stop crying and this one needs to be fed. And, the dishes are, you know, overflowing and, you know, so that, that has been a really good feedback. Um, yeah. So I'm very pleased, you know, and just kind of, again, it's meant it's out there. It's going to find the people it's meant to find. <laughs> well, I, I think, it, you know, from what I've heard of by the book, of the, okay, I'm not looking forward to diving straight in. It's going to be one of those things. It just seems that, it should find a broader audience than like a niche audience. It, it, it's not a niche book. I mean, certainly there are aspects of it with the folklore that might be said, oh, well, it's a yeah. horror book. I'm not going to, but it, it seems that the story is far broader than that. That's, it's more of an exploration of, as you said, the, the, the immediate feelings of post-motherhood and, and sort of what it means to be a parent in, in an age when the world's essentially a place that's out to get every single person that it can. Yeah, And also a marriage, you see the marriage and how it breaks down and how, you know, we sometimes get into relationships with, you know, toxic people and toxic situations, but we don't know it because, you know, the, the wounds that we have, that's how we're, we're choosing people We're we're choosing from our wounds, we're choosing from our pains, we're choosing from our desperation or, or these needs we haven't addressed and and you get to see that in their relationship and also how when you realize these things like oh maybe this person isn't so good for me maybe this person was a lesson and not you know beyond that but here i am and you've brought children into the world how does that feel how do you come to terms with that so and 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 everybody has been in relation, most people, you know, relationships or marriages and, you know, whether you're straight or gay or, you know, it doesn't matter. 
a relationship is a relationship and or whether you um whatever race or background you come from relationships are pretty cut and dry <laughs> so yeah i think a lot of people can relate to that and if you are a parent uh definitely you can you can relate to the challenges there but also the beauty so you think we're shaped more by pain we've experienced or more by the joy we've experienced I mean, in terms of relationships because it's the, the gaps we love to fill in our lives so they create by pain or and, and frustration or they create by the joy and the happiness we feel I mean, you know it, it always fascinates me how people view potential partners and the way they form their relationships it's because it's almost like a nature versus nurture absolutely yeah. I think so I think that as you see the evolution of Alejandra the more self-love she has and the more she knows herself, the the clearer her her thinking and her eyes. And I think that's with a lot of people. Again, if you've been wounded in the past and you've come from, you know, a home that was dysfunctional or toxic, you will carry that most likely into your future relationships. If you view yourself in a damaged way, then you're going to allow people to see you in a damaged way and possibly treat you that way. And so you see that you see how the more she realizes how important love is, true love, her self-love, the greater understanding she has of, of her, of, of the role she played in the relationship and where the relationship should go. It's almost like a journey of self-realization. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And we're all doing that every single day from the moment we're born and we take that first breath. Yeah, because life is a continual journey and it's just always discovering, always, you know, understanding things. So, I mean, I want to go back to this idea of, of haunting, of, of generational haunting, because that it's, it's such a fascinating idea. It's not one that. You know, we we have the idea of like well, haunted houses, places are haunted, people aren't haunted, families aren't haunted. But this this idea that families are haunted, it's it's just fascinating. Yeah, you know, generational trauma. But, you know, yeah. generational poverty. People who've for generations and generations have have lived in poverty and just can't seem to get out of it. You know, mm. you see that um, in, in class again. You know, this is about generational trauma that that comes from the conquest and and the change of identity but you can also um put that against class right and you know people and and economic mobility and how you just keep you know digging and digging and digging and but you cannot get out of this pit yet some families who have generational wealth who have gone to these big they have you know they have these names these and then they have they have gone to certain schools and they have certain connections and how that just perpetuates their wealth their standing and how then they because of that they form the greater society their communities and they are unless you're really benevolent and you're really lovely they're going to make decisions that are going to keep people like themselves in those positions and the people who are continued dragging and, you know, trying 
That's all they're going to do. And that is a curse. That is generational, generational, generational. I mean, the UK is locked in a feudal system that's nearly 2,000 years old. You know, because you look at our government, our government is exists and and it's based on three private schools. All the politicians are there. They have no interest in helping the working class or, or the low middle class get above their station because they're only interested in maintaining the status quo and carrying on things exponentially. It's the same in every country. It's the same in the US. I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm, it's the same in Mexico. It's definitely the same in Spain. It's the same in France. It's the same everywhere. It's the minority making decisions for the majority to keep us all within our place. And as you said, that I never thought about that before, but it is. <laughs> that, that's a generational curse. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why I write these books and it's hard, but the more we talk about it, the more we make people aware, the more people can stand up and say, wait a minute, mm, no. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, 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 we all go storm the, that... the, the proverbial Bastille at the same time. <laughs> uh, wouldn't that be something? That, that, that really would be something. So the book, I believe, is out on the 17th in the UK. Yes, yes. So literally right. in a week. <laughs> in a You're week. <laughs> yeah, so it's out in a week. I'm super nervous because again, you know, in the US, I'm, you know, people, my books are in bookstores in the US. Right. You know, I've gone to a lot of events in the US. I've done. So I, I have a bit of a an established little tiny speck of a corner in the US. <laughs> but here I'm just like, who's this person? <laughs> so it is, you know, I'm quite nervous. And, you know, I hope to, you know, go into my local Waterstones and see it there. And I'll be like, ah! are, you, are you going to do book signings? You've got to do book signings. I to- hope so. I hope so. I mean, I'll be at Con- London Comic Con right. at the end of the month on the 27th of October. But um, again, you know, I'm trying to kind of make that crossover into the UK. And I have a few UK based book ideas that I, you know, I'm really um, looking forward to dig into. So in April, Immortal Pleasures is out. And that is basically set in Ireland and in London, (laughs) a little bit in Mexico, but it's all you get the South Bank, you get all these um, really cool areas of London, Notting Hill and um, so that I think a lot of UK readers will like. You've got to do Thought Bubble in Leeds as well. So make sure you tell the publisher about that. Because Thought Bubble is okay. a really sort of um, more intellectual sort of con, Comic Con where writers are invited rather than you, if you, you can apply, but they'll invite you based on the strength of your work. It would be perfect for one. Oh, which one is it? Thought Bubble in Leeds. Okay. You would be a perfect fit for it. Honestly. Oh, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Um, I'm looking thank forward you. to diving into the book. And thank there will you. be a review on the site soon. It will be sent to the publicist. So fingers crossed you'll like it. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your time. And moving swiftly on, next up we've got Sam Rebelline talking about his new book, Edenville, which coincidentally is also published by Titan Books, so take it away, Sam. Hey, good morning. Hello, Sam. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure, sir. Um, So, Edenville, your debut novel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> Weight of expectation? What's that? The weight of expectation is on your shoulders, eh? 
Yeah, I know. And the whole process has been very backwards. I keep telling people because um, we actually sold the short story collection first. So we've got a collection of Renfield County stories uh, in the works. Um, right. My uh, copy edits are due on Wednesday, actually. So we're we're very close to moving into production and not. Um, so that'll come out early 2025. Um, but they, you know, quote unquote, like nobody reads short story collections as much as novels. Right. So um, I had said in the initial pitch, like we've I have these ideas for other novels in the world. And here's the first one that might start off the series and. I haven't written it yet, but here's sort of my idea. And so they bought that. Um, and so from the beginning, like even just first selling the book, I was like, holy cow, this this really better fucking work. <laughs> you know, like I, I hope I can write a novel because I've already sold it. Um, well, so it's just been such an insane thing. I mean, it, it arrived on the weekend. So I haven't had time, time to have it yet, but I'm reading the, the back and it's literally like, oh, this is Lovecraft meets Stephen King meets EC Comics, meets all that stuff that we absolutely adore, you know, and our audience absolutely does. This is just, you could have written this book for our audience, literally. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I, I feel like it's for horror people who have read a lot and seen a lot, and so you look at the setup for something, and this is something that I was trying to sort of, like, combat in writing it, too. Um, right. I'm really just launching into this interview. I hope that's okay. I didn't know. No, that's no, no, you, you okay, go. You're, you're, we're here to talk about you, but not here to wait ask you and your work. All right, so. perfect. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I think that when I read the description for a book or a movie and it says something like, uh, you know, psychological, the character isn't sure if, the, if there's an actual ghost or if it's in their head, you know, something like that. Right. Like, wow. Well, I'm really only here to see a ghost or a monster. So I like hope that there is one you know and like that psychological element can be sort of fun to toy with but I often find that um when you set up something as like a vampire story or a ghost story and then it is just that there's always an element there's a part of me that always wants more so Edenville I really tried to like okay we have the premise but then in the first hundred or so pages we pay that off and then we do other things right um so I think it's been uh, a bit too crazy for some readers, um, but I think that the people who respond really well to it are people who have read a lot of horror and just are looking for something that's a big surprise. So, so yeah, I, I think it's uh, I I think you'll enjoy it um, as someone who has read and seen a lot of horror. So it, it, it seems to be like your world building on a massive scale. You starting starting with with Eden though, and then the short story collection. So this is going to be your universe to play with. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, simultaneously sort of in like exciting, but also sort of daunting because I'll offhandedly mention something and then I'll think, oh, that's a whole nother novel idea right there. So I like, <laughs> I'm just constantly giving myself more ideas. And so it's, it's been really fun to play with, but then there's a certain point where I have to sort of rein myself in and be like, okay, okay, don't, don't play too much, you know? <laughs> um, but, I, I, honestly, yeah. I I'll play enough because if you've got an idea that's solid and it works and there's multiple offshoots, and there's multiple, stories you can tell they're all based within a universe where you're making the rules because it's, it's your world yeah go for it write as much as possible because you're gonna have people read it that's the beauty of it 
It's your yeah. life. It's your work. Yeah. And I um, was just talking about this the other day too, um, that I, there are so many things that I don't know anything about, you know, I was an English major. And so like, so much of like engineering and science, I'm just like, I, I cannot, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand how things work, you know? Um, so that's been sort of fun too. Like it is my world and there's a lot of space mm. to play with things. And so every time I hit an element where I'm like, oh gosh, that feels like it requires like some research into that thing or, you know, I need to know more about this. Like I'll do a little bit of research, but then I'll hit a point where I'm like, and then it's magic. I don't fucking know, <laughs> you know? So there's a lot of room to just sort of like hand wave the stuff that isn't as interesting to me and to uh. really focus on, um, making it that sort of kooky, like Tim Burton-esque, like anything is possible um, in sort of a spooky but fun way. Um, and I, I think, you know, um, Stephen King said something interesting on, um, he was interviewed on Talking Scared, and he said something about, like, he has always written young adult novels. They've just been marketed for adults, but they feature <laughs> kids. Yeah. And so, like, it's very easy to get hooked on his books as a kid, even though they're, like, too scary for kids, quote-unquote. But I think that's something that makes his book so popular because you, like, you know, when I was 14 and starting to read some of that stuff, I was like, oh, shit, I, this isn't for me. You know, even especially Lovecraft, I was like, holy cow, I, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> um And so I hope Edenville sort of occupies that same space, too, where it feels fun enough that you're, like, able to be excited about it as a teenager but it's dark enough that you're like you know feeling that sort of teenage like pushing the boundaries you know what i mean yeah exactly i mean for this, this writers you will always return to if, if you're a fan of good horror literature you'll always return to king you'll always go back to lovecraft yeah because they're mm-hmm. just the staples and it, from what i can gather your novel bridges the gap between the two perfectly so that's where good books lie. That's where good storytelling lies. It's sort of, it's sort of like the same stuff Christopher Golden's doing, or or Mike or Mike mm-hmm. doing in comics, or Steve Niles is doing. You know, yeah, that's the territory you're walking on, and that is like you. That's why you've got to keep going. Don't say, "Yeah, oh, I've got this idea." No, write it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to stay track, right? Because we got. Yeah. Um... You know, this, so this novel's done, obviously. Um, and then we got the collection. Um, the second novel, I'm about to start the second draft of. And so that's what I sort of mean by, like, I got to rein in because then I get excited about other things. And I'm like, no, no, no. But the second novel is <laughs> like, you got to do this one first. Because um, then I'm like thinking way down the line to other books in the series and, and whatever. Um, so it's just the like just trying to stay focused on one thing at a time rather than like, all these different elements that I'm excited about. Um, And I think that when I'm writing, uh, that's where I sometimes get stuck too, because I'll write a scene that I'm excited about and then another one that I'm excited about, but then I'm like, well, shit, how do I like, the connective tissue is like boring to me, you know? So like, (laughs) how do I get that? Because I think very much in terms of like trailers, you know, like I'm able to visualize the trailer for a story very well and that like, here are the characters and stories and sort of emotional beats that are interesting to me, but then all the connective tissue, like how do I get them in the house and how do I like right, set so up it's, the thing? It's, it's the build out they have the issue with, and then yeah, no, that that that's never. I'm, I'm an old hack. I'm just 
going to be on the like, oh, I've got four books to my name. You, you, you learn this stuff as you go. It's not something that comes yeah. naturally to anybody. It's just, you know, and the fact you've got this novel out, that's what you should be celebrating. Oh, on Renfield County? Oh, nice touch. Nice touch. Without <laughs> name, nice touch. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. Thank you. You know, you, how would you sell this novel to somebody else? If you're, if you're, so we're sitting in a bar, okay? The beer's poured, the bourbon's come around, you, and you have a chance to sell your novel to the people in the bar. How would you explain it to your prospective audience? Yeah, well, I think Renfield County is a great place to start. Um, you know, with Renfield, um, for him, the blood is the life, right? Yeah. He's trying to gain lives and, and uh, create life for himself. And in Renfield County, the complete opposite is true. This is a place that has been cursed by blood uh, for almost 100 years. So, and, and this is the part of the story that's true. So this is the, the nugget of Renfield County that like actually sort of happened in a way. Um, in 1929 in North Carolina, there was a tobacco farmer named Charlie Lawson who, uh, murdered his whole family. I don't know. Have you heard of this guy? No, um, no. Oh, this is, you got to look this up afterward, <laughs> but, um, I, I will be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, um, all of a sudden on Christmas morning, um, shotgunned his entire family, uh, except for his oldest son and then killed himself. Um, and the detail that I find fascinating about this is that it was so cold in the house that all the blood froze along the floor. And so the neighbors who were cleaning it up had to like shovel it and pick it apart and then buried it all in the backyard. And so I started thinking like, well, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> you know, like what grows out of that blood? Where does it like in the spring, what does it thaw into, right? The brook that feeds a lake, that feeds whatever. Um, and so in Renfield County, that version of Charlie Lawson is uh, Lawrence Renfield, who kills his entire family. And something about the, like, pain and, um, like, bizarreness of that sort of murder spree sinks into the ground and ends up becoming this radioactive force for the entire county. Then everything in the county is touched by this like murderous rage, cursed blood. So here um, the blood is the death. Everything that the blood touches is sort of infected by this like madness. Um, and I, and I just love, um, I mean, Renfield is a great character. I think there's never been an iteration of Renfield in um, film or books that I haven't, enjoyed in some way and like Dwight Fry in the original Bella Lugosi like 31 whatever that year was yeah the, the, um, the top 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 Browning's jacket yeah exactly yeah. that Dwight Fry as Renfield in that is just <laughs> incredible um so yeah I, that's that's really my like basic pitch for for the world that I think uh, people seem the most, especially like horror fans like you are like, oh, I know Renfield and I know what you're <laughs> talking about. Um, but I think more like uh, non-horror, like civilians, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> yeah. um, are, uh, I don't know, I, I describe it also as like small town cosmic or um, dark academia that's a subgenre that I'd never even heard of before the book came out and people were like, Oh, this is dark academia. And I was sort of like, 
If you say so, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea what Dark Academia is either. So it's it's more time cosmic horror. That is just like oh, that's 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 oh, Sarah, that, that's Lovecraft. That's all that yeah. wonderful juicy sort of what's bubbling below the surface. You can never you never know what's happening there. You know, because everybody has a story yeah. to tell, and it's what just sort of bubbles. Yeah, that is. Well, I like that idea. Yeah, and insanity being contagious. That is. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sort of gets under your skin and never leaves you alone. And there's an element of like the the hometown to that as well. Um, so it's it's sort of spooky Hudson Valley, um, which is where I did most of my growing up. Um, and it's a beautiful part of the country. I mean, um, upstate New York is just gorgeous, especially at this time of year in the fall. Um, but then at night, it gets so creepy and spooky and um I, I think that that's like a full half of um, the Hudson Valley that people don't really talk about. Like people are like, oh, the leaves are so nice. And oh, it's all these cutesy small towns. But then at night you're like, wow, fuck, I got to get home as soon as possible. <laughs> Twisty. <laughs> that's uh, like the woods sort of close in. Yeah. I work in um, small town Pennsylvania, so I know exactly what you mean. It's oh, okay. My idea where by day it's fantastic, but by night when everything is just like darker than dark. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's something magical about that too. You know, um, I moved here when I was eight and I lived in uh, suburban Ohio before that and really grew up on goosebumps. And, you know, Arl Stein is from Ohio. So it felt like everything he was writing about felt sort of honest and personal. You know, he was saying, like, yeah. you know, you should be aware of these things in suburbia. These things are scary, which for the very nervous seven-year-old that I was. So it's like, <laughs> thank God someone's being honest about this. I knew all my neighbors were monsters, you know? Um, <laughs> and so when I moved here, it felt like the woods were just a totally new environment. And um, there was a lot of spookiness to that, but a lot of magic as well. Cause I felt right. like, okay, now there are other Arl Stein stories that can come true and like that I can see. And so yeah, I think just being able to share that with people in a world that is um, very scary, but also sort of fun, I think really speaks to, again, the magic of like being a kid and even things that are sort of frightening or sort of magical in a way. I so, don't know if that makes sense, but... <laughs> it makes perfect sense, but so, so what's the reaction to the book been like so far? Is it what you expected, what you hoped for? Because one thing you you know all writers learn is you have to develop tough skin and just never take any of this stuff personally. But no matter what happens, when you get the praise, it's like oh yeah, I need this. I yeah. know. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I um you know I've been telling stories forever, and I've always had a weird sense of humor. So I like the main bit of like bullying or flack that I got growing up was like you're so weird. You have a weird sense of humor, and that's been exactly the response to the book so <laughs> I mean people have really liked it but I feel like um the people who haven't liked it that's been the main thing that they've said like this is so weird um and so there's an element of it that there's a part of that that's like um okay fine yeah if I had a nickel for every time someone called me weird like whatever um but then I'm also like oh come on I'm an adult now like you can't fucking <laughs> like um still think I'm weird but um but everyone who's liked it has just been really, really into it. You know, uh, people say it's it's such a fun read, which was really my my hope, um, because I wanted it to feel like um, 
not comedy horror necessarily, but sort of an adventure, like some of the, again, stuff that I loved as a kid, like that, um, the Goonies, you know, like, right. what do, like, how do you describe that film? It's, it's an adventure. There's peril and humor, but it's not like comedy horror, you know? Um, so I wanted it to feel sort of like that. Um, and I think the people who really like it really responds to that sort of like, um, it's just fun. It's just a good time. <laughs> well, uh, weird is good. If something calls you weird, that's a good thing. It's, it's not a bad thing. Never take that as being a bad thing. You don't <laughs> want to be known. We don't yeah. want to be one of these people who just crank out airport thrillers. Well, well, so, sure. I mean, there's, yeah. there's great money in it, but at the same time, it's like, this has got to send me to sleep in five minutes. You know, would you rather be a great writer or would you rather be Dan Brown? Just, oh. if, if, I have to another, <laughs> if I ever have to read another Dan Brown novel, I would. I will do myself in. I can't. So you, you, you're in that rare sort of ether where you're a good writer doing good work, and that's something to be cherished. Cool. Well, thank you, man. Yeah, I, and I do. I want it to feel literary as well as fun. I yeah. Say. You know, there are many things in there that um, I felt were important to say. Like the main character is this big narcissist and um i think that worked really well into some of the cosmic horror elements as well because when you're talking about cosmic horror the big thing like big big squids and like huge creatures have never terrified me on their own but the idea that like the fact that that thing exists means that your life is worthless uh i feel like really would affect a narcissist you know someone who thinks that they're the center of the universe and then all of a sudden there's all this cosmic horror like I just really wanted to scare the shit out of that guy. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a really fun thing to play with. Um, but um, also like that character. So Cam is, is really the narcissist one um, was a fun way to combat that trope. Um, and I can't believe this trope is still around, but the like disbelieving husband, you know, like I still see right. books and movies coming out today where, the boyfriend or the partner or whatever is like, oh, you're imagining it. Go to bed. And I'm like, really? We've been doing this one as long as there have been horror stories. Like, it's, we can't it's, do something new. It's like, you know, all, all, all the teens are going away for a weekend in the cabin in the woods. Really? You're going to do this again? You're all going to go there? Yeah, <sighs> yeah right. But the yeah. And they walk in and it's like dilapidated. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a book in the cellar and they suddenly, somebody reads and all hell breaks loose. But it's it's the idea that the tropes work because everybody recognizes and they know what they're going to get. It's just, it's that lack of imagination yeah. maybe, that keeps these ideas going. And when somebody breaks that side, that's when things get really interesting, which is what you're trying to do here. Make it interesting, make it relevant, make it fun. Yeah. Which again is, um, you know, sort of paying off the promise of the premise early yeah. enough that you can play with other elements, you know, that, um, like Cabin in the Woods was a huge one for me when I was younger because they do exactly that, right? They're like, okay, right. here's all the stuff that you're familiar with in the first half hour. And then you're like, wow, there's another hour of this left. Like, um, so that was really the feeling that I wanted to give where like you hit the halfway point and you're like, wow, we've already like answered all the questions that I have. Where, where do we go now? Um, because I sort of love that. And I love, especially in movies where, um, 
you know, there's one scene sort of in the third act that goes on for far too long. And so you can kind of like, they're walking very slowly into the kitchen and you're like, oh, hell yeah, there's more coming. <laughs> like <laughs> you can just feel it, you know. It's a time drag before the big reveal. And that, yeah. so I mean, it's just like you get, the main, the, the story you're talking about is, is the starter before you get off the entree and then the entree goes, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah, which I love. I love that feeling of, um, like you can trust the story up to a point like it's all, all sort of fun and games and then it pulls the rug out from under you you know there's sort of a cackling madness to that we're <laughs> <laughs> that like as a as an author you can kind of say like hey it's all fun are we having fun and then right. like fuck you <laughs> i'm having fun you're not having fun you know but, uh, um so you mentioned this this the short story collection and that's april next year i believe April 2025? Um, I think so. I think it might be earlier, like January or February. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, we're we're still working on it. So stay tuned. But, but that's, is that going to be through Titan as well? Uh, yes. So that, that'll be in the US through William Morrow and then Titan will do their, their own edition as well. So is there anything you can tell us about the short story collection or is that just no you're gonna have to you have to wait for it because it's like gradual reveals is it so basically is it like like the 12 story collection a 20 story collection somewhere um yeah there are 10 in there because the last two are sort of novelettes so they're a right. bit longer um but it's the stories are woven through these series of emails that this woman is writing to her brother. Um, and you sort of gather early on that something has happened to their mom and uh, she, like their, their mom has died. And the woman is wondering if this is something that was always going to happen or if somehow Renfield made it happen. If Renfield is under their skin enough that like, it has uh, led to this death. So um, she's sort of detailing Renfield's history. And so this is this book is really for anyone who read Edenville, which I've seen a lot of too in some of the reviews that people finish it and they're like, well, I just want more. I want more Renfield <laughs> County. <laughs> um, so this is really for, for you, dear readers. Um, this is a chance to see people who grew up in Renfield and how it's affected them over time. And what that's like for them, because in in the uh, book in or in the novel in Edenville, um, we arrive in the county with our two protagonists, which I feel like is important. Anytime right. the place is a character in and of itself, like it's good to meet it at the same time that our protagonists <laughs> are. Um, but the poorly made and other things, which is the collection, um, will just plunk you down in Renfield from the beginning. <laughs> so um, it'll be a cool chance to get a better idea of what exactly happened with the Lawrence Renfield murders and some of the other history of the county that's mentioned very briefly in Edenville. And then a chance to see some people who, again, have grown up in Renfield and, um, you know, how it's sort of affected them over time. I, again, this is just, yeah. So, Sam, thank you for your time today. I mean, yeah, of course. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you on that. Edenville is out now. It's on Titan in the UK and in the US. It's published by 
Uh, William Morrow. William Morrow. Yeah. And it's available now everywhere, I would imagine. So, you know, you don't have to buy from Dr. Evil at Amazon. You can go into your local bookstore and buy it there. Yeah, um, wherever books are sold. And shout out to my local bookstores, Oblong Books and Rhinebeck. If you're in New York, they're a fantastic little store. Um, and uh, Inquiring Minds and Socrates, they're a fantastic store as well. And they're now, I don't know how long they're going to be doing it, but they're selling a an Edenville-themed coffee. So uh, <laughs> if you're uh, anywhere near Socrates, go check it out. If that, it's worth traveling to a place called Socrates just to drink coffee. No coffee, that is tough. <laughs> awesome. well, like... Yeah, thank you so much. This was a blast. It was, it was fun talking to you. Well, we'll do it again when the short story collection comes out. That sounds great, man. It'll be a pleasure. And thank you for your time today, man. It's been an absolute honor. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's it for this time, folks. Don't forget to check out The Haunting of Alejandra and Edenville. And we'll see you soon. So, uh, ta-ta!